Hello and welcome to the Frontier Cinema Podcast. My name is Logan Dellinger. I am the co-host alongside Quentin Oliver-Smith. Today we have a special episode for you. We have guests Levi Taylor and DK Johnston here talking about their new film, The White Christmas. Unfortunately, I was not able to make the interview, but Quentin was here to take over and was able to talk to these guys about their film and their Indiegogo campaign, which we will leave some links uh, on our social media pages and we'll be posting about it to where you can find out more information about that. And of course, you can always follow their pages as well. This is a really great interview. DK and Levi have been longtime Alaskan filmmakers, and we are honored to have them on our podcast. So let's get into it. DK and Levi. I want to welcome everybody, uh, our first guests ever to the Frontier Cinema Podcast. We have very, very talented Alaskan filmmakers, Levi Taylor and DK Johnston. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start with a little bit of history behind ourselves here. DK, you and I met, I think, when I was in high school. Uh, we yep. both are alumni of King Career Center, now called King Tech, mm-hmm. for uh, the, the film and television yeah. program there. Yeah, we were both fortunate enough to, to be, uh, actually all three of us, uh, Levi included, yep. were all uh, Is uh, that right? mentored by Dan Sparkman. That's right. Yeah. Hey, how about that? That's very cool. And, and look at us now. We're here on podcasts. We're making films. We're living our best lives. And, and to think, and to think, Mr. Sparkman always uh, always told us, "No, we're all about broadcast and radio here." <laughs> <laughs> but we we showed him. But uh, yeah. but yeah, uh, no, no, I remember I met uh, Sparkman. Actually, brought me in uh, along with uh, Charlie Sears, I think, to talk with you. And I don't remember who the other young gentleman was who was at the meeting. We came in shortly after finishing. Uh, like uh, Charlie just come off of Big Miracle, um, and I just finished doing two really low budget features with John Voight. <laughs> <laughs> those, yeah, those were uh, interesting feature films there. <laughs> yes. Very interesting. But then you, I think you and Charlie came on, came on as uh, uh, visual effects PAs. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah, I was a glorified cable wrangler. And, uh, whipping boy for the for the dolly grip, uh, <laughs> a most honorable tradition. It, it truly was. Yeah, he's from Louisiana, and man, they could talk some dirty stuff. Man, <laughs> make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, regardless, <laughs> um, Levi, tell me about a little bit about your history. You, you've been making films in Alaska for quite a uh, while now. Can you kind of talk about some former projects you've had? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, as far as my history getting into film, I I think like, you know, most of us here, I got into it when I was young and it was kind of just something I gravitated toward, Uh, you know, had a lot of fun, um, like like we talked about, you know, doing film projects in high school and, you know, skating through those years doing a lot (laughs) of fun media. Um, But then, you know, I I was really close to going to uh, Full Sail University, actually, um, and I went and saw their campus and talked to some of their alumni and um, they basically said, you know, film schools is a great opportunity for a lot of people, 
but it sounds like you're already doing a lot of the things that we learned to do. And quite honestly, once we graduated, we had to relearn a lot of the things to do on set. Go get a job. So right. um, that's, that's what I did is I, I ended up uh, just going in, you know, my early, early 20s, getting a job in uh, broadcast to being a hired, you know, gun doing shooting and editing and things like that and learning from, you know, people around me, uh, you know, came in for that job and they said, do you know how to use a broadcast camera? And I said, sure. Yeah. Learn yes. the that is the ultimate <laughs> film answer right there. Do you know how yeah. to do this thing you've never done? Yes. Sure. Right. Yeah. I will when I'm done. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So did that for a number of years. And um, then, you know, after a few years of doing commercials and television show stuff, I, you know, I really kind of realized I, I didn't have a whole lot of room in my life to do the art anymore, the stuff that I originally got into it for and uh, broke free to uh, start my own production company called Crooked Pictures in Anchorage, Alaska, and made uh, our premiere short film called Way Up North, which uh, went off to, to win the Beverly Hills Film Festival. Festival, uh, which was very exciting and uh, just, you know, it, it kind of, for me, you know, going into that film, I had never really worked with, I mean, outside of working with people in, in broadcast doing commercials and things, I'd never really worked with other artists making films except for, you know, my friends who had wrangle into projects when I was a kid. So um, it really, to me, introduced me to a growing network in, in Anchorage, Alaska, of people who wanted to make films too. And uh, from there, we just, you know, we continue to make a lot of short project, you know, short films, uh, in effort to hopefully one of these days get a, get a feature behind us. But we've learned a lot from doing those films and, you know, it's, it's been a hell of a ride. It definitely has been a hell of a ride. You guys just were accepted into the Beverly Hills Film Festival for your new project, The White Christmas. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, yeah, we were very excited to go back with this project. It's The White Christmas is a, it's a 30 minute short, which, you know, is, it's kind of chancy to make a short for, for festivals. We've been to a number of festivals over the years. And one thing I've learned is, you know, the shorter the film, you know, if you have an impactful short, short film, uh, the shorter it is, the, the more likely you are to, to get into to a multitude of festivals because it's easier to fit into, you know, programming uh, for these blocks that they put together. And, and a half an hour short, you know, uh, they have, I, you know, my my theory is that less festivals are going to take it because of the duration uh, for mm -hmm. their programming. But if they do, they like it. You know, they think it's it's, oh, yeah. it's taking up that much of a block and showcasing. So, um, you know, I, I'm very excited that that it was accepted to to the Beverly Hills and that we're going back to show it at the uh, the historic TLC Chinese Theater. I mean, yeah, that's pretty incredible, especially getting to premiere a film there. You guys have had a, a, quite the success at that film festival as well as other ones across the country. You kind of were going into this about how you know a short film. If it's 30 minutes and it's accepted, it might get accepted into less, but it's, you know, they really are more passionate about that. And they kind of let you do a little bit more story development and character development. Kind of, Can you kind of talk to me about your process as to why a Christmas film? You know, it's funny. Um, I mean, I, you know, it, it, it kind of got inspired one of the at a different festival we were at a few years ago and we were at a workshop. 
And um, there were some people who had gotten a lot of distribution for films who were talking about, you know, methods and things that they did to to get on a roll getting distribution for films. And that that was one of the insights I gained from them was that they were like, you know, uh, a lot one thing a lot of people don't realize is that there is actually a big demand for, for Christmas films. Um, you know, every year we want to have Christmas related films that time of the year. And there's only so many kind of getting pushed. So um, and then from there, I started thinking about it. and I was like, gosh, you know, I mean, Christmas film doesn't have to be about Santa Claus you know it, uh, a lot of my favorite films actually take place at Christmas you got Die Hard you got I mean Gremlins I mean of course Home Alone <laughs> Gremlins. all these all these great multi you know cross genre films that are just in that setting um, of the season so uh, that that was something that I thought well why not why not you know most of our work has is pretty dark drama pretty gritty but I was like man it'd be kind of cool to bring that element that we do of, of dark and gritty and um, very serious drama into that setting of Christmas po- sort of polarized you know of this colorful time of celebration right. and everything's usually joyous but then bring in that bring in some characters who are going through some real shit you know I, yeah. I definitely think that's a I, I love the, the concept I've seen the film and, and uh, you did you guys did a remarkable job on it and, and I I, I totally agree with you. I think that there around Christmas time, some people are getting a little sick of all the all the cheeriness, right? Right. Yeah. People get a little worn out on how merry can we really get. So I think kind of bringing that uh, alternative to the table is a great idea. I mean, Die Hard's got a great cult following when it comes to Christmas. People every year debate if it's a Christmas film, right? Right. Yeah. So can you? So you're kind of going to distrib- distribution a little bit. Um, What's your plan for the film going forward? Uh, I, I know that you've got a pretty tight 30-minute short film here. Are you trying to possibly pitch this as also a feature later on? This is a feature. And so I had written The, um, the White Christmas originally as a, as a full feature. It's a 120-page script. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a feature that I wrote kind of, you know, with the idea that I wanted to do something that was totally story-driven, you know, didn't have a lot of stunts, didn't have a lot of special effect demands. You know, the idea is to, was to try to keep the, the cost down by having, you know, most of the demands being on a strong cast, um, you know, it's an ensemble piece. Um, mm-hmm. And and so uh, I wrote this feature and then, you know, we wanted to, to do something to kind of basically give give a treatment of, of what this story was, give a flavor of what it was as a short version. So the 30 minute short film is, is a real condensed kind of, um, you know, treatment for that feature just to, to get you kind of interested in the type of characters, the type of conflict, and just sort of what that feel is like with that Christmas time meeting, the, this dark, gritty, you know, uh, subject matter. Yeah, one of the big things with with films like this, uh, or really with a lot of features, especially for, you know, like while Levi and I have produced a lot of shorts, um, I've only got one feature under my belt, but, you know, neither of us has really gotten to direct a feature film, but we're finding it more and more today that even in order to get to get kind of your first feature off the ground, you've got to have a real solid base of of, of work, which we've gotten. But uh, for features, they really want to, a lot of investors, a lot of studios want to see a proof of concept. They want to see what you're going to do, you know, what what get, get a taste of the film specifically. And um, and uh, Levi and our other producer Mike Collier, like they really took the like the bare bones uh we really really talked about it, the fact we, we kind of we took the car that was the feature film and stripped it down to nothing but the wheels and the steering wheel mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and 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 really got to the to to like the the hardcore points of this film and uh and i think levi and them did a 
did an amazing job being able to. I, I had to, I had to be in Georgia while this was happening, so I, I felt like I felt slightly disconnected. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but, it, but it's been amazing to watch it kind of like come into fruition um, without having actually have been there. It, it's definitely it was interesting for me, but it, it really has come out to uh, to be I think one of the better things that we've done. Yeah, uh, and, and for our listeners who, who don't know, um, you know, DK is usually my assistant director, and, and because he was producing from afar on this one, he couldn't be there to, to do that capacity. So that that's actually the first time I worked with you, Quentin. Yes, uh, that's true. It, yeah, and that was that was a real pleasure, man. You really ran that set. It was it was <laughs> an intense couple of nights. We only had a few nights to do it, um, you know, to, to make everything come together, and uh, you know, we really couldn't have pulled it off with with some really, you know, uh, without a with a without a good AD. Crowd in that wit man so thank <laughs> well you. thank you very much levi uh yeah had everything totally under control uh <laughs> and uh dk you just mentioned this it was actually next to my list i wanted to bring up so you produce this halfway across i guess entirely across the country yep uh <laughs> you gotta tell me what that experience is like trying to solve problems from 3500 miles away well i honestly thought like i really did think i was like okay well i'm not there so I probably I won't worry quite as much as I usually when I'm set. I'm on set, and that was actually the complete opposite. Because um, uh, you know, uh, in Atlanta we're four hours ahead, and so and the whole film was shot in overnights. And so, but uh, like you, the majority of the problems as as a, as a producer, the majority of the problems with any production usually comes right at the beginning or right at the end. Um, of the day of the production day, so oh, totally. it usually meant I, I kind of got. I really did get on a really, really weird sleeping schedule for the week leading up to it because I was because <laughs> I was on the phone all day for like four or five days leading up to the film, making sure like the, all the final pieces were in place. Because you know we had we had uh, actors coming in from California. We had insurance that needed to be uh, attached to the film because we had uh, we we employed a, uh, a retired I can't remember was it the state trooper or, or Wasilla police car Levi Do you remember what the the cop car was? Um, <laughs> well, it was yeah, it was from the a museum of transportation out there, and uh, I think it was Wasilla. Yeah, it's yeah. Wasilla. Yeah, the museum. Yeah, you got it. yeah. Um, yeah, they, they were they were very kind to let us uh, <laughs> for for little to I think actually for nothing. Uh, as long as we came out and 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 towed and trailered the the car in and only drove it like so many miles, um, I've got a great story about driving that car. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, I, I don't know. Have I heard this one yet? <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure if you if you have or not. I believe your brother Levi Tony, right? He yeah. was on the car. He uh, we dro- he drops it off. It's literally a block from set. It was an Airbnb that you guys rented out. And we just needed to get it, like, down one off-street city block. And those tires were from the 1970s. They were completely (laughs) bald. Well, and that driveway was downhill. I mean, that was a steep slope. It it was a steep, icy slope. I think this was in the middle of February. And, yeah, I am driving it down this, and I'm like, oh, I do not want to go down this. And I am very interested about getting back up it. That's going to be a future Corton's problem. But for now, I just I was going. I literally braked the entire way down this icy driveway, and I was going maybe a mile per hour, and the brakes locked up, and I immediately start sliding into the guardrail. <laughs> I'm able to keep it out of there and somehow get it down there. And then, yeah, we get off set at what's like 4 or 5 a.m. that first night. 
<laughs> and now it needs to get back on the tow truck and get out of here. And uh, I floored it up the driveway probably 10 times in a row. Didn't make it a single time. Just start sliding backwards, get back down. We eventually throw our three heaviest grips available into the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Gun it up there. I think it was Chris Thomas who actually was driving at this point. And got the front wheels over the front edge after two hours of trying this. And we say, well, there is no way in hell we're backing down here. We're, we're getting tow cables and we're getting this thing the hell out of this driveway and getting the hell home <laughs> <laughs> no I, I do remember that now yeah no <laughs> that was one of the calls that's one of the calls i woke up to uh, yes yeah, i was i was going to bed you were waking up <laughs> but that was i mean that's i mean yeah it's the stories like that like i mean uh, from from doing all these shorts over the last 10 years we've got like thousands of these things but um but produce yeah but definitely producing this thing from afar was just it was nerve wracking because I hated that I couldn't be there. And just like, I, I, am a guy who likes to know what's going on at all times, especially as an AD, that's kind of your job. So that's kind of, it's a, uh, yeah, it, it was, wracking <laughs> for sure. but, but you know, luckily everyone, everyone came through it. And, uh, you know, the car, like I said, the, the car got back to the museum and, uh, yes. <laughs> and the house didn't burn down. So house so, didn't burn down. Yeah. Good work on everyone's on everyone's part. Yes, everybody made out out of there alive. I always consider that a good film set. You guys have a Indiegogo campaign for your current project, The White Christmas, uh, going on now, and you guys are already having some success. Kind of tell me a little bit about the campaign. What are you guys raising money for? Uh, what What are your goals? You know, there there's a couple things. I mean, you know, we, we there's a few there's a few uh, bits of post production that you know that we're paying some people for. Um, you know that we're that part of those funds are going toward, but but largely the lion's share is just going to uh, festivals and getting this film into you know in front of as many people as possible. Um, you know, I mean, it's being you know making films in Alaska is it's, you know it's an isolated. Um, you know what I mean? Place to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, you need people to, to see the work. It doesn't do any good sitting on a shelf gathering dust. So, you know, so much work went into this uh, by so many people in our community that we want to make sure it gets shown and gets recognition for sure. But, you know, even more importantly, getting, you know, in front of people who can bring us further opportunity, who, you know, we did this as a, a treatment to show what we could do as a team in Alaska, you know, what our community was capable of, you know, in front of the camera, behind the camera, um, and then to, to hopefully help garnish, uh, you know, the funds that it would take to produce a, a full feature that we could go out and get distribution and actually be able to pay everybody, uh, hopefully what, what, you know, what they're worth, um, you know, we've had a, you know, get a lot of community uh, volunteers and things over the years for these films. You know, people have come forward just for the opportunity or just for the love of the art. And a lot of the times, you know, no one was getting paid. Um, you know, and our, our dream is to bring, you know, a feature where we can hire, you know, everyone as prof- the professionals that they are and, and make a real movie. So in order to do that, you know, if we're going to make the feature of white Christmas, we want to use this 30 minute treatment to get it out and, you know, put it in front of people who can give us pre 
distribution, you know, deals or, uh, you know, connect us to actors who might be really interested in this kind of story who would help us, you know, find further funding to, to get the feature, you know, things like that. So it's just about connecting with uh, industry professionals outside of Alaska who see the value in the craft that we've done uh, with the short film and see the value in doing a feature with this crew. Yeah, the, the with a lot of uh, a lot of short films, even if they're not necessarily trying to build toward a feature, like doing uh, smaller campaigns like this, I've seen uh, time and time again, even through festivals. But it's, uh, like like Levi said, it's not not just about building the financials toward toward our final goal, getting out the festivals, but it's also creating a great following and showing people and being able to show people kind of a look behind the curtain to what it took to make this film. And that's what the behind the scenes series, uh, the Levi and I spent, spent over a month uh, kind of putting together, uh, really gets to, you know, we got to, we got to sit down with the, with the, the, the cast of the film and really get to, to before people get to see it they get to they get to you know know a lot a little bit more about the director about what the where the story's going and what and um, the kind of roller coaster that the actors went through in order uh, in order to really kind of bring these characters to life and that in, that in turn like you know we since launching the campaign just a little over a week ago we've gotten so many more people who have who have who've contacted us asking you know asking us you know more about what we've done where the story's going and just generally just kind of liking and following the the project as it goes along. And so we're building an audience before we even get to the screen, which, uh, which is a, which is great news for us. While raising funds to, uh, to help further that means. And I think that's a great idea. Exactly. I think you guys are doing a great job on, on the, on the campaign. Uh, I've been loving the behind the scenes that you've been, you've mentioned. Uh, I think any kind of look behind the curtain there is, is always, help war towards aspiring filmmakers as well as I think audiences just like to know the personal stories behind uh, what it takes to make uh, an endeavor like this. As the campaign kind of unfolds, you know, um, not only does it give you, you know, a behind the scenes look of, of making a movie, but, you know, it's an opportunity for us to, uh, we actually talk more about the story as a whole, the characters individually, and in being able to do that in this format, also kind of say, well, you know, give you more insight into what the feature is. Um, and, you know, out of that, you know, we also get all this great material with this treatment um, to to create sizzles you know uh, not everybody's going to have you know in the industry 30 minutes to sit down and watch the whole thing but we have all this great material to pull from to create you know short two minute sizzles you know um you know that you know someone might give a glance at and go wow you know this is compelling stuff you like it you want to see the 30 minute version you like that awesome you want to read the 120 page script you like that here's our business plan um you know that's you know and so these are all tools that it's multi-layered and i think that that's that's a smart approach. You can't just make one little thing and hope that that's, that's your only thing. You got to come at it with a multi, uh, you know, pronged approach, I think when it comes to these kind of projects. Yeah, I definitely think that, uh, your approach to this whole film is, is very clever. Um, actually just uh, going into one more topic, actually. Um, so you had told me when you were writing, writing stories in the past, as well as this one that you have gotten, feedback from online uh, writing sources where they'll essentially uh, say, hey, uh, this maybe the, the act two is, is a bit funky or they might break it down and, and give you some tips and, and tricks. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about those resources that you utilize? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, there 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 are online uh, sources like uh, Slated and um, you know Blacklisted and things like that that you know. You submit it and people who are vetted as producers from the industry uh, give you feedback from the quality of the script to the marketability, um, you know, the questions that it inspired, things they liked a lot, things they didn't like. And just, you know, that's the it's the kind of harsh feedback that, you know, maybe some of your your friends and fans aren't going to necessarily speak out to you about. But it's the kind of thing that you need in order to continue to grow as an artist um, and to continue to see, you know, how does this sort of hit uh, just a general, you know, somebody who's not from Alaska, somebody who's not maybe familiar with the bulk of your work. Um, you know, how is this, you know, how is this kind of, you know, landing? Yeah, it gives a good it gives a good first glance look at what's, you know, what someone will see of your work without now, like a lot of, you know, we're, we have our network and we have people who are like, like Liam, I said, who are familiar with our past, but it, it really is good to see what a first impression is for someone who knows nothing about, about us in the story. But, and I, I will offer uh, just a, a quick word of caution. If you decide to take your script and go do this um, while it can be refreshing, it's also a lot of the readers and producers who are on these sites are people who, you know, they've got rubrics of things that they kind of classify, uh, classify, but they're all looking for like the next franchise. Like you got to look also what the Hollywood industry is currently doing. Like right now, we're in the massive season of remakes and revamps and <laughs> and sequels and stuff like that. But honestly, I mean, they're making new, they're making Ben Hur twice. Like exactly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's the, like I mean it's um, you know how many times can we reboot Spider Man and Batman really? Um, every but, five years. Every five years, but but. Just because, like you know, I always say, take the advice on these things with, with a little bit of grain of salt. Like, but you know, they're they're coming at it from you know they're looking for things that are franchisable, uh, things that are gonna like look good on a big box office. And sometimes that's not always what you need. That's not always what you're going for. Like, and to add on to what you're saying, DK, I mean, I just I totally agree when it comes to you know the importance of getting that feedback, but to also know your story, know what you're going for. I mean, if you know, I I've, I've submitted to these you know review sites and gotten completely conflicting feedback where somebody really didn't like one thing but you know somebody else loved it um but you know so some of that you have to take worth a grain of salt and kind of go well who you know what do i feel their angle is what kind of you know look at their review history what what kind of films do they like is that the kind of film i'm doing is that the kind of film mm-hmm. i want to do um but then if so you know if multiple people are telling you the same thing to kind of get over your ego and go okay maybe i have to look at this but really you know to really take that stuff as with as a grain of salt you know not to just try to make your movie for what's you know what don't you think people want it to be i mean it's still your film you still it's an, it's it's art it's expression you know you have to be true to yourself there too absolutely yeah i think i think all that is uh, very wonderful advice for aspiring filmmakers and uh yeah I, I i definitely think it's important to have confidence in in the stories that you want to tell and conviction in it but uh, at the same time not ex- exactly as levi said don't let your ego get in the way um, just because you think it would be best to do it like this. It, you know, it might, it might not convey what you ultimately want it to, to an audience. So getting those second and third and fourth pair of eyes on things is, I think is always helpful. And, you know, as, as a director and as a writer, it's your job to take criticism or uh, notes or suggestions and then find the best ones. It's not about it always being your idea. It's about, making the best film possible. Absolutely. That's right. So, uh, Levi, can you kind of talk to me a little bit about your directing process? So, 
Um, on this particular short, I think we had, what, six main players? Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, six main players and um, definitely an ensemble piece. You know, I, I grew up with a, a theater background and I grew up doing Alaska Theater of Youth and uh, pretty much, you know, when I wasn't doing films, I was on stage. So, you know, I, I, I've always been a fan of rehearsals and getting real intimate with the actors and, and getting to know, you know, the character and not just what's my motivation for the scene, but who are you, you know, and, and getting involved in that process with those actors, you know, so they can really sink their teeth in and um, bring that character to life. So the rehearsal process has always been really big for me. Um, you know, I think for, for this short, we had a, a full week of rehearsals and that was absolutely necessary uh, for the speed we were, we were having to run through these scenes, you know, to get through, um, you know, all the pages we had to do those nights. Um, they, they needed to, you know, we didn't get a rehearse in the space. We had an Airbnb that was a, somehow, you know, just uh, amazingly allowed us to rent, not only rent their Airbnb for those late nights, but completely redecorate and hang things. And I mean, it was just, you know, pretty remarkable to, to find someone and convince someone to allow us to do that. But anyway, the actors uh, didn't have the opportunity to, to rehearse in this space. So they needed needed to know, um, you know, what was going on in the dynamics between these characters inside and out and just be able to be thrown into any kind of, um, you know, room or scenario and just uh, not not worry about blocking, but just be able to be in the moment and know what the, what the person was feeling. And uh, and I think, you know, that's that's what allowed us to to get through everything that way. So, yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. And yeah, you're kind of talking about getting into the space and actually getting to work with the actors with blocking. I think that's something that maybe a lot of young directors might have a hard time kind of figuring out. You know, you've got your set, you've got your scene. And now what are the actors going to do? How, can you kind of tell me about what it's like with like how, the, the, the push and pull and like kind of the flow of, of ideas back and forth when you're working with an actor and you're trying to figure out how all of them are going to interact in this, in, in this space? Well, for one thing, you know, uh, this film was less formulaic than than others that we've done, you know, meaning that we didn't have, you know, it wasn't going by storyboard for everything. There were certain shots we knew we wanted to get, but we wanted this to be performance driven. It was two camera shoot, you know, so it was a lot like theater. It was a lot like just stand back, let the actors do what they're going to do and get shots of them. Don't, you know, it wasn't about them needing to deliver it exactly a specific way every time for multiple takes from this one specific angle we wanted. Um, and one thing we did for rehearsing that was, you know, they obviously ran the lines and things, but um, they were allowed to to improv. So to throw away the script, to understand the scenario and the main key pieces of information. But when we were rehearsing, just to, to be able to totally embody those characters and embody those, explore, you know, those emotions and, and what was going on, um, you know, we allowed them to, to improvise uh, and extend the scenes and just, you know, allow to allow them to really tap into real raw emotion that way. Um, and so, you know, that we find these, you know, moments of magic in doing that process. And I'd stop and go, yes, that right there. What I just saw you do when, you know, this wasn't in the script, but what you tapped into right there where you guys brought it. I love that. Let's figure out where that happens in the actual dialogue now. You know, um, you know, it was just, it gave it sort of an organic, you know, essence to the process. And yeah, I think organic is is something that, you know, every filmmaker tries to strive for, especially, you know, when you have this dysfunctional family. I think 
it's very important for the audience to really feel like they're, you know, you're, they're brothers and sisters with all their issues and the way they interact with each other. And I think that's something that the film does a wonderful job at. And yeah, I remember, I think there's a, there's a shot for Bradford. Uh, yeah. Jerry's character. <laughs> he's dressed up as Santa Claus, essentially a drunk Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's uh, a, a family brawl. I might be giving away too much, and I'll edit it out if I am. Uh, and essentially, there's this shot where he's like crawling at the camera. And uh, I, I think I forgot who drags it by his feet away. And just the look on his face. I just remember. I think that was a, a moment of just of uh, improv and brilliance uh, on both your parts to recognize that. And it's one of my favorite moments. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And that was Matt Fernandez who played Jake, the other other older brother. And, you know, I got to hand it to both of them because, you know, yes, this, there isn't a ton of stunts in this, but that particular fight, I mean, anytime you're doing um, choreography like that, you you know, I mean, you're you're running the risk of someone getting hurt. And in this instance, you know, uh, like I said, we didn't have the actual space we were shooting in to rehearse. So we had to conceptualize these fights and these moments, but really um, we couldn't, you know, iron out all the details of the fight until we were in the space and could see our limitations. Um, And and because they both have um, an extensive background in, in theater and stage combat and, um, are professionally trained, you know, they were, they were able to dive into an unfamiliar setting and adapt uh, that choreography uh, in a safe way. Um, but yeah, there were some real moments of, of brilliance and, um, and comedy that happens in that fight. And that's one of them. Another one is for some reason uh, during that fight, Bradford's, uh, you know, who's dressed as Santa Claus, his pants keep coming off. They just keep <laughs> falling down and it ends up being in the cut, you know, because it's just so bizarre and funny. It's just the fight well, gets pushed <laughs> over the top, you know. <laughs> I think I think Bradford's choice of whitey tighties, uh, I mean, it just made it too perfect, honestly. Right. off that note uh let's see here levi what's your experience with working on a a multi-cam kind of shooting like this uh i think there were about 26 pages or 28 pages or so of script we have to get through in three days and it's just not physically going to be possible if you're just shooting one camera at a time can you kind of talk me through your decision on going with the two cameras as well as What's it like to direct two cameras at once? Is it is it hard to, you know, maintain focus or get overwhelmed, when, especially when you're kind of, you know, jumping back and forth in between scenes and not chronological order? Sure, sure. Um, well, there's, you know, there's a couple angles to that. Um, one is, you know, I guess the first aspect of production that really grabbed me from the time I was in junior high was editing. Um, so give me the more footage I have, uh, you know, I know I'll be able to fix it in post. You know what I mean? Uh, I have confidence in, in, in you know, uh, the edit. Um, but also, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have as much confidence if um, I didn't know, I, I, you know, that I had an excellent crew, an excellent, you know, camera department and Michael Collier, you know, directing that, um, you know, so that, you know, to, to be able to have faith in the crew and not need to be a complete control freak uh, when it came to every single setup and to be able to step back and try to limit how much I intervened that department unless there was something I absolutely, you know, was getting missed or something like that. Um, but, but yeah, really the, the original 
idea was, you know, the two cameras would save us time, uh, you know, allow us to just kind of blast through some of the scenes without multiple setups and things like that. There were areas where I would have liked to get certain coverage that I had to compromise on because of time. But, you mm-hmm. know, having the two cameras still gave me options, you know, to cut around things. Um, and then the other, like I said earlier, was, um, you know, that I didn't want this to be really a formulaic film that I wanted it to have a, a yeah, I wanted it to have a sense of, of being like theater and being really performance driven and, um, you know, and let let the action in front of the camera tell the story more than um, the camera itself, you know. So being able to just have two cameras to step back, capture the audience view and give us, you know, options to cut between uh, did the trick for this one. The great thing, one of the one of the easiest things about producing the with these films, specifically in Alaska, is because of the film community that kind of that did pop up in the, in the seven years that the tax credit was going. Um, because trying to make a film like this with the resources that we had uh, on this particular film, um, I think Levi can really attest to this. Like you know, ten years ago, it would have been very hard, if not almost impossible like way up north was um that's how me and levi met initially was um he brought the i was living in los angeles at the time and and his dp mike collier was um he he (laughs) mike actually met levi and i guess i guess you guys had had some talks and he was actually trying to convince me to forego going to school in los angeles a year so that i could help work on way up north (laughs) oh wow Uh, and uh but i was already like i was already six feet out the door like we'd already like (laughs) i already had an apartment and we were just waiting like i was i literally had been married for less than six months when we decided to move and uh it was kind of like it's now or never kind of a thing um and uh while i while i regret i didn't get to work on the film itself like i met i got to meet i got to meet levi and his crew when they came down to the beverly hills film festival um and really, like, it really was, like, I, I did, we didn't have a tax credit when I left. But seeing the movie and seeing what Levi was able to pull off with nothing, like the, like the resources and the people he just gathered through general interest and, and, and real inspiration for the film um, was, uh, was, was something that really attracted me to continuing to work with him once I moved back to Alaska uh, in 2010. But the, the resources of, like, that to make a film... Uh, of this scale, especially with the intention of making a feature-length film, ten years ago in Alaska would would be like people would probably would have laughed in our face. And I, I think that now, um, like uh, the amount of professional people we had on this set, specifically like Jerry Levine and Greg Kern, um, and being able to, right. to bring up uh, you know actors who've had success like Bradford Jackson and and uh, Katie Wallach and things like that, like. And and to have the you know the people who were interested in really supporting this film uh, was was incredible, and so I, I won't really vent so much as like profusely thank <laughs> people for making my job as easy as it was um, to do this from afar. You know, despite my lack of sleep, which is me being neurotic, but really, you know, everything <laughs> everything fell into place, and we got and 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 Levi and the guys were able to get what they needed. To, to really showcase what we can do, you know, this is what we can do with nothing. And again, it just comes down to, you know, give us a budget and we'll blow your socks off. Yes. I absolutely love that. I'm glad that you brought that up. I think the, uh, I, I mean, I'm in love with the Alaskan film community and arts community in general. Uh, I think it's such a supportive and really talented group of people um, in this community. And yeah, you're totally right. It's, it's amazing what uh, I think Alaskan ingenuity 
can do out of just the bare necessities of, yeah. of what you need. Um, I really think it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and real quick before we before we uh, we ended this thing, I did want to give a massive shout out to a lot of, so to just a few people who really helped yeah. us make this movie. Please um, do along with yourself, but, uh, but connections, film and video, Jerry Levine, uh, and Chris Thomas over there helped us tremendously, especially with all the camera and, uh, and video equipment. Yeah. Um, uh, AK grip and lighting, Greg Kern. Like, uh, if, if you don't know what, if you don't know his grip house, you haven't been working in Alaska long enough, uh, <laughs> to, to know him. Uh, but once you, but once you do, you'll, you'll never go, you'll, you'll never go anywhere else. Um, uh, a big shout out though, to, uh, uh, I'm blanking the name, Levi, maybe you can help me, but gorilla fireworks. Uh, yeah, Bob, Bob Hall. Yeah, Bob yeah, Hall. Yeah, Bob, Bob Hall. Gorilla Fireworks. Like they, there's one like the the uh, the kind of crescendo of the whole uh, picture. Kind of was was banking on being able to have this spectacular fireworks display, and just from the he, videos I just saw, yeah, always down to go blow shit up. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, also Garrett Martin with Garrett Martin oh, Designs yeah. Uh, yeah. Has, has worked on, you know, I think just about every film we've done, uh, handling the art department and production design. Um, you know, always fantastic to work with him. Always so much work that, that goes into that stuff. And, um, you know, we couldn't do that without without his eye. And, uh, you know, people like Jeremy Blake, who, you know, yeah, they're, he's running audio for us, but he's doing so much more, you know, solving so many problems along the sidelines. Um, you know, people like Kinsey Bamber. I mean, just you know there are so many people who went above and beyond uh you know not just in the department that they came onto the film with but were willing to pick up the slack wherever you know that slack was 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 found so uh yeah huge shout out to our 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 crew man yeah and and jesse way specifically she really had to step up to be me or as much as she could be on on, on the set because like there was just so much information she had to while working a full-time job during the day and then working uh, all night for uh, for a couple of days. Like I can only imagine how neurotic she was because I I was neurotic and I wasn't <laughs> even there. Um, but yeah, but uh, but yeah, this 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 crew. Like I, I I was so thankful that Levi had all that support with him uh, while they were there. And 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 you two you two Quentin specifically like like uh, like the one name like everyone kept telling me is I'm like who can AD this thing? Because <laughs> I'm not there and everyone's just like we gotta call Quentin. I'm just like. Yes, good. Yes, call Quentin. Yes. <laughs> I was really excited about that because I'd wanted to work with you for a while and I was like, oh, I get my opportunity now. It was awesome. Uh, so. Yeah, no, I think we were, I had just shot uh, my film 1234 the weekend prior and I, I think you had asked me to come on and just like as a small help role or just just kind of see what I can uh, help you out with. I think I had to say no originally. Like, dude, I'm like, I just need to like, yeah, no, I, I remember the uh, the situation that led to it specifically. Like, you want to talk about? Here, here's a stress. This is like the one stressor moment that happened throughout the whole film. Is that yeah, yeah? Jeremy Blake was originally going to AD, and I, we wanted to bring you on as a second, right? To, to be able to just to, to kind of maintain scheduling of the film. But then at the last minute, our original sound person uh, got a really high paying gig and had to drop out at the last minute, like absolute last minute. And so Jeremy yes. went back to his. 
to his role as a, as a sound person, which he's done for us a couple of times. And, uh, and we were more than happy to make sure that you, that, uh, that you came into the first. And I, yeah, and I, I remember making that phone call. I was just like, he's, gonna say no. he's going to say no. He's totally going to say no. Uh, but it was just, like, I was yeah. very glad that I said yes, because it was a, a wonderful experience and getting to work with, as you guys already mentioned, the absolutely wonderful crew, all the talent that was on that set. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure of mine. Uh, yeah, I, I would think I was brought on Thursday for us shooting Saturday, and yep. I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's get it. <laughs> crank, crank the adrenaline in the Red Bull, and let's go. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm fairly sure I uh, my blood turned to Red Bull afterwards. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was I was literally just like uh, uh, here in Atlanta. I literally just had the coffee maker in my room uh, <laughs> at the house I was staying at at the time, and just like just pouring cups uh, like between like just doing that and playing PlayStation to try to keep myself awake just in case the phone rang. Um, yeah. but I had slept for like four or five nights before that working. You know, I worked yes. in art department with those guys a little bit too. Cause we had so much to get ready. Cause we had such a limited yes. window to get into that Airbnb and, and do the set. We had to do so much prep um, that, yeah, I mean, it was, it was insane. By the time, by the time we finished that film, I don't think I really slept more than three hours a night for a week. Um, if I'm being quite honest, man, you were you were looking pretty rough by the end of it. Uh, <laughs> I was I was having conversations with you, and you were looking one million miles past me. Oh, I, I believe you. I believe <laughs> but at the same time, uh, able to ma- be a, a incredible director, uh, you've always been an inspiration to me. And getting to work with you is actually something I'd, I'd been wanting to do for uh, uh, such a long time. So uh, once again, just absolute pleasure working with both of you on the, on this film. Everybody, go to the go to the Indiegogo. Give them ten dollars. You've got ten dollars. I promise you, you have ten dollars. If you want to give more, that's awesome. Um, go to the Indiegogo. The White Christmas. Levi, DK, thank you guys very much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Quinn.